Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Perpetual Chess. We are here to do a preview of one of my favorite tournaments. It only comes along once every two years, so I am super excited. It is beginning July 30th. We'll be telling you some details shortly. But first, I'd like to introduce our return guest. He is a chess Twitter celebrity, uh, the founder, president, CEO of the Dodgy Invitational Chess Tournament, of course, the most prestigious tournament this side of the World Cup. He's a chessable author and employee. And as was revealed when he gave us an Olympiad trip report on a podcast last year, secretly, he is the producer of our rival podcast, the Chicken Chess Club podcast. But nonetheless, I decided to take the high road to invite him here on the show. And I'm excited to welcome back Michael Duke, better known as Mr. Dodgy. Hello, Michael. Hey, Ben. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, it was very gracious of you to invite me back on to plug the Chicken Chess Club podcast. That's the main reason I'm here today. Um, but no, I'm really excited to talk about the World Cup. It's one of my absolute favorite tournaments. I think it's one of the crown jewels of the chess world in terms of excitement and hype. So yeah, I'm super excited to talk about it. Yeah, I am as well. And of course, we can't bury the lead. One of the Chicken Chess Club co-hosts will be competing in the tournament, Laurent Fressonet, and the uh, the fourth board of the Chicken Chess Club, Peter Spidler, as well. But um, but so what we're going to do with this podcast is we know we have longtime chess fans listening, you know, people who've been following chess closely for 20 years and we have newer chess fans. So we're going to kind of walk through the format at the beginning um, and then dig into this specific World Cup and the players and, you know, we'll reveal who's going to win and all, all that stuff. But just for the beginning, for longtime chess fans, it'll be review. But we also have an update on the candidate cycle and stuff that maybe even season chess fans either might not be on top of or might even have trouble keeping up with, as I discovered when I was trying to prep for this. So first thing to know about the World Cup, it starts July 30th in Baku, Azerbaijan. Um, It is, again, takes place every two years. And a couple things that differentiate it from other tournaments, um, it is elimination format and the top three finishers earn spots to the candidates. It also has a mixed time control, which so that I don't monopolize the conversation, I'm sure that you could discuss as well, Michael. Um, so 
uh, how would you describe this time control, these time controls? Um, okay, so I did say that I'd done all my homework before we started, but I haven't done homework as far as checking the actual time controls. But well, my understanding is it's, it's two, two classical games, and if they're tied, then we go to rapids. Yep, uh, then two some... rapids, which are 25 minutes each. Mm-hmm. And then if it's still tied, then we go to Blitz, Not which yet. I guess is another two, pair. Two 10-minute Rapids. Oh, two 10-minute Rapids. Okay, yeah. well. And then we go to Blitz? Then we go to Blitz. Um, and then five, finally... Sorry. Armageddon. Finally Armageddon, yes. Yeah. So it's a lot of games, but I think that's the the beauty of it. Like, it, you can have a draw in an individual game, but every match, you have to have a result. Yeah, so, so. short mini-matches... Um, there's an open section and a women's section. We will be discussing both. Um, 206 competitors in the open section. I believe it's 103 in the women's section. But but yeah, I mean, it's a short match format. I mean, these, these things go by quickly. Um, and obviously, two classical games always featuring strong players are often going to end in draws. So it starts out fairly slow. But then uh, the tension the tension has a tendency to escalate. Uh, some of the players playing, of course, it generally attracts nearly all of the top players. And this year is no exception. Magnus is playing Hakaru, Fabiano, Jan Napomnici, Wesley So. Um, in the in the women's section, um, the women's world champion is playing. But actually, Lei Ting Jae is not playing. Well, actually, mm-hmm. I shouldn't say the women's world championship because by the time this comes out, Lei Ting Jae could be the world champion. It's tied as we record this um, on July 19th. Um, but uh, Hu Yifan, of course, is a notable absence in the women's section. But most of the top players are playing. Um, so, so many players to see. Uh, but what... A couple who struck you as missing from this tournament, Aji? Well, I mean, the the obvious ones are Ding Luren, who has, you know, taken a bit of a break after becoming world champion, which I think is, I think he probably shouldn't have agreed to play immediately after the the match because he played one of the Grandchester matches, uh, tournaments, sorry. Um, but he has kind of continued his break. Now, I, I would definitely like to see him back at the board. I think that's one of the big uh, luxuries we had with having Magnus as world champion is that he really was super active. And I think there, I think maybe Magnus was the most active world champion ever because, you know, he basically plays constantly. He still plays constantly. Um, so I would like to see, would have liked to see Ding kind of back in action. And Ali Reza is the other big one that's missing. Uh, I'm not sure why Alarez is not playing because he would feel like a natural favorite for me in this kind of format. Um, well, what I was going to say actually is I generally feel like the guys who are incredibly good at rapping in Blitz are natural favorites for this tournament. That kind of makes sense, right? Yeah, because so often it comes down to fast chess and you have to think stamina matters as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, actually, I feel like some some veterans have made good showings in this tournament um, in the past. But nonetheless, it's a meat grinder. I mean, it goes for nearly a month if you yep. are lucky enough to survive. So um, you would think sooner or later that uh, age plays a role. And yeah, you mentioned Magnus playing. He's on the record. He loves this tournament. So as you said, even when he was world championship, 
a world champion, he would play, even though it kind of muddles the part that was, we'll talk about this later, but it's part of the qualification process. And he's playing in the tournament because he can't resist. Uh, notably, Magnus also has never won this tournament. So I'm sure that uh, also motivates him um, to play it. But yeah. It, Sorry, well, the, the, that, that was gonna. I, I did have a trivia question for you. I was gonna say because you know naturally we think that the world, the best rapid and blitz players, should do really well in this. But there's only one player that's been rapid and blitz world champion and also won a world cup. Ah, uh, so won the rapid and the blitz. Um, um and the... yes, but also either. Okay. Huh. Um. I know Levan's won the World Cup twice, um, but he hasn't. Yeah, but he hasn't been World Blitz. Uh, he hasn't been World Rapid. I think he was World Blitz. But it is Karyakin is the only player. Ah, okay. Who, of course, is missing from this year's, um, thankfully. Um, yep. <laughs> it's a great so, tournament. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Another reason to like it. Um, so the chess.com commentators, I tried to find out the commentator. I don't know if Fide is covering it individually or not, but I did that shout out to uh, chess.com for letting me know who the commentators are going to be. Jovanka Hauska, Tanya Sachtev, uh, the Ginger GM, Simon Williams, Robert Hess, uh, Naroditsky, and the return of Peter Leco. Um, so I am super excited. Uh, should should be fun to watch. I mean, one thing to note about this tournament is there's just so much chess going on. So the commentators have a tougher job than ever. Um, if you're like a hardcore chess fan, you can look for your openings or if you have certain people you're rooting for. Um, the commentators aren't necessarily going to be able to cover all the games. They'll probably be covering Magnus and Hikaru a lot, for example, but um, certainly a, a great commentary team. Yeah, I'm very looking forward to it. And you need quite a big commentary team for this event because it goes on for so long. Yeah. And there's there's actually very there's very few like scheduled rest days because for most players their rest day will be kind of not going to tie breaks. So if you can avoid going to tie breaks, then you'll say you'll get an extra rest day every three days or so. Um but I I'm not sure exactly how many scheduled rest days there are, but usually there's only like one or two. Yeah. Maybe one before the final and maybe one mid tournament, something like that. Yeah. And and as you alluded to, I mean, it's not easy to avoid tiebreaks. We're again, we're only talking about two classical games and match dynamics can come into play where if someone feels like like someone like Hakaru um, might might feel like he has an even big, bigger edge as the time controls gets shorter. So while he feels like he's got an edge in classical too, it's entirely possible someone like that might play it close to the vest in classical. So you, it's quite often that you get down to starting with the 25-minute rapid, but then it just escalates from there, which is, as we'll talk about shortly, one of the things I love about it. But before we get into this specific World Cup and what we like and dislikes about it, because there are some people who have some um, valid critiques that we can discuss, but I did just want to review the the FIDE candidate cycle, because um, for me, part of what makes this so appealing is... Um, is the three of the people are in the candidates. I mean, that's a massive prize um, to potentially get to play for the world championship. So where we are for the 2024 FIDE candidates, which will take place in Toronto, um, is Nepo is already in as the person who lost the last world championship match. That is the only spot that is settled. Three for the FIDE World Cup top three. And of course, we have Magnus potentially muddying the waters. Um, if someone finishes in the top three, um, that turns down the candidate spot, then it doesn't go back to the overall cycle. They actually go from within that event. So fourth place, especially if Magnus finishes in the top three, uh, would be especially important. Uh, two, 
two players from the FIDE Grand Swiss in late October. Also, we'll get into the candidates, uh, one for highest rating and one for the FIDE Circuit, which is um ongoing series of uh, classical events here in 2023, um, primarily classical events. Um, and I have the standings on that. But Dodgy, let me tell you, it's not so easy to find out the FIDE Circuit standings. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't want to be too critical about the FIDE circuit because this is the first year that they've attempted it. And, you know, there's going to be... It's a very complex system and, you know, there's there's definitely room for improvement. But, you know, when you try something new for the first time, it's, it's probably not going to be perfect. Um, That being said, it I feel like we're over halfway through that particular qualification path and we really have no idea who is actually leading. Right. And we know that Anish Giri is ahead in points. But you can only play five events, or sorry, you can play five events that count towards the standings. So if you play more than five events, they'll only include your top scores. Uh, Anish has played this five events, but a lot of players haven't. So for example, Hikaru has played one event that qualifies, and he basically scored the kind of maximum number of points, more or less. Um, which means if he played another four events and performed at the same level, then he would be comfortably above. And there's other players who play two events to three events. So we don't really know um, who's actually leading until everyone's played five events at least. And then we know kind of who has to win something or do like improve on one of the results. So it is quite a complex system. Personally, I think we should just include all the tournaments. Um, I think we should encourage people to play as much chess as possible. And like we should reward people who travel around the world winning opens like these are the guys who you know we see in person week in week out they're the traveling professionals they play tons of chess then you know that's a that's an important part of the chess world so if some 2600 guy wins 30 opens through the year like i think that's tremendously valuable to the chess world and obviously you shouldn't get as many points as you get for winning norway chess but you should get some points yeah, I, I like that idea. So something like the tennis sort of or like even here in the US, they have like a Grand Prix where, you know, going in how many points a given tournament is worth. Um, yeah, because that incentivizes, um, as you say, people to compete more and also sort of opens up the playing field because, um, yeah, initially where I thought you were going as you described this is the the small invitational tournaments like they all should count, which, OK, I mean, I don't have anything against that. But part of what appeals to me about the World Cup is you get to see so many um, different players that, that don't necessarily get uh, get the spotlight as much. Um, but yeah, just to sort of tie the bow on on uh, the FIDE circuit spot. So it is kind of tough to know who's leading right now. But from my understanding, the four most likely players to emerge with a spot uh, from that are Fabiano Caruana, Anish Giri, Wesley So, and Gukesh. Um, roughly in that order um, from from my understanding. But two really big tournaments for that one spot um, are the Sinfield Cup. Um, and of course, the uh, FIDE Grand Swiss will will be important for, for just getting two spots off the top. And the U.S. Championship also, for those who can play in it, um, will be important. Yeah. So um, th- there is also, which I'm not sure if it should work like this because this kind of makes it really complicated, but there is actually FIDE... Uh, Circuit points in the World Cup and in the Grand Swiss. Got to make it as complicated as so possible. They, you can you can kind of double dip with both of them. So if you get really close to winning one of them without 
uh, actually getting the spot, then you can still get enough points that will get you in the circuit. And it's, yeah, it's very complicated. <laughs> yeah. So, so we'll see. So Nepo is the only one who can be totally relaxed, but Hikaru <laughs> does have the number two rating right now, although it's fairly close. It could definitely fluctuate. For example, he's only uh, five points ahead of uh, Caruana, but whoever gets, but they have a decent lead for the rating spot. So um, should be interesting to see who emerges um, uh, with with the, the slot. But um, so I think it's time to actually talk about the tournament. What do you think, Dodgy? Yeah, sure. Sounds good. Okay. So likes and dislikes. So we've already touched on this, but I just want to rhapsodize a little bit more about what what makes this tournament special to me. But um, Dodgy, you're the guest, so I would let you go first. I had asked you to come up with three likes and dislikes, and if we have overlap in what we discuss, we'll just keep it moving. Uh, we're not going to yep. insist on three each. So what's something you will start with the likes? Uh, this is a positive podcast. What do you like about the FIDE World Cup? Okay, so the first thing I like, and this is a little bit out of date, at this point, because, you know, the World Cup only happens every two years. Um, but the first thing is really simple. It's, the, it's a knockout. And knockouts are super rare in the chess world. Or they were super rare until uh, the pandemic and things moved online. And a lot of the online tournaments, Champions Chester, are knockouts. Um, but before that happened, basically, there's no other knockouts. There's no real over-the-board knockouts. You occasionally get, uh, get one that will happen. Like the Dutch Championship, for example, was a knockout this year. Um, but they're super rare in chess because they're very expensive uh, to fly everybody there. And they're like, okay, you play two games of chess, but then you have to go home. There's yeah. not like usually that kind of money in chess. Um, so I think the World Cup is just a unique event. There, and there's certainly no knockouts that are on this scale with 200 players, with basically all of the best players and with a massive prize fund. I think, I'm not sure what the prize fund is, but it's usually over a million dollars total, maybe 1.5 million. Yeah, and for, first this year is one hundred ten thousand. Um, yeah, it's big prize fund, and yeah, that that of course was on my list. I mean, knockout tournaments, obviously, here in the U.S., you have something like the college basketball, but just general sports playoffs often feature that format for a reason. Also, this is something highlighted by uh, Maxime Vasher Lagrave when I interviewed him. Um, it it decreases the chances of misaligned incentives. I mean, often you'll have these spots where like in a candidate's late in a cycle trying to qualify for the candidates, if you're playing in a round robin, you might have a moment where one player, it's the most important game of their life because if they win, they get in. And the other player, they're just having a blah tournament and they're out of the running. Um, and it's much harder for something like that to happen in the World Cup. Generally, people are playing for the same, you know, with the same stakes. And that's what we want in sport. So uh, that's, was one of my likes as well. Um, yeah, and I, I think in general, kind of knockouts are very, they're a very clean system. Like, you've just got to beat the guy in front of you. That's yeah. It. Whereas with a Swiss system, like, you know, sometimes maybe in the last round you need a draw. Maybe sometimes you can even lose the last round and still win the tournament because you're already ahead. Like, it's it can get a bit murky, and with knockouts, it's just super clean. You beat the guy, you will go through and yeah. the, the flip side of that is if you're having a bad tournament, it's a very short tournament for you. Right. You know, if you're out of form, you don't you'd only have to play, you only have to suffer for two days and then you can go. Yeah, which is not all bad. I mean, as you say, it's kind of a logistical nightmare and and expensive 
for yeah. the organizers. I mean, as you can tell, I speak to the guys from the Chicken Chess Club because that's one of the main things that they're happy about is that they don't have to hang around for too long. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Once once you leave, uh, you get at out least Laurent anyway. I mean, Peter Swidler definitely has this unfortunate habit of doing very well in World Cup, so he often has to hang around for a while. Yeah, we'll be rooting for him. Um, okay, and another thing I liked, and we've already touched on this stuff a little bit, but um, and a lot of this stuff, there might be some overlap, but just the fact that every game is extremely important, and particularly, I like the sort of the way that the tension can escalate even in the early rounds. I mean, of course, in like a round robin tournament, you can have a tense moment near time control, but there's something about like as the tie breaks kind of stack on top of each other as you go from the classical to the 25 to the 10 to the blitz to the Armageddon. I mean, the tension just escalates and escalates and you might have one of the favorites get put to the test early. Um, And then, you know, again, this is something that you also see in sports where like a big favorite might win in overtime early in the tournament and barely survive and then go on to win it. And you have these sort of heightened moments in the World Cup as well, where one of the stronger players might just eat by, but then you almost forget because they go on to crush everyone. So that was another one of my likes. Um, anything to add there, Dodgy, or do you want to move on to your your next one? Yeah, no, I, I pretty much agree with that. Um, yeah, my next one was that pretty much all the time, we've already touched on this as well, but like pretty much everyone plays. And it, not, not just the top players, but like if you follow kind of any level of professional chess, um, someone you like is playing in this tournament. 100%. Like, you, it's very difficult to scroll through that list and not see, you know, half a dozen names. Like, these are guys that I would watch all the time. There's obviously the top players, but there's a few other names that jumped out at me, like uh, David Howell is playing, who doesn't play a ton of chess. He does a lot of commentary, but it's, this will be really exciting for me personally to follow him. Um, I like seeing David play. I don't know if David will drop out at the last minute and be replaced <laughs> by Magnus, because that's going to be tough for Magnus to play two games at once. But right. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that um, was. But, but yeah, there's a bunch of kind of just below the top tier, you know, kind of 26, 50 ish players that I'm very happy to see as well. So, yeah, it's a big field. It's like 206 players, which is even for like a strong Swiss, you don't usually have that many players. Like Isle of Man and Grand Swiss are usually around 100 players, I think. Yeah, it's it's really fun. And David Howell is someone I had highlighted too. Obviously, super nice guy. Been on the pod a couple of times. Great commentator as well. But also, uh, he, you know, especially in the Grand Swiss, but he's dangerous. I mean, he's, you know, he's a very talented player. So it's fun to watch like him who, by his own admission, is a part-time professional at this point because of all his uh, commentating obligations. But but when he dusts off the chess pieces, no one wants to play him. So, and and he's a fun guy to root for. So, yeah, and of course, there's so many young talents playing as well. Like I had forgotten that Christopher Yu, one of the U.S.'s brightest stars, uh, will be making the trip. So, and we'll we'll highlight more players that we're excited to watch later. Um, my one remaining like that we haven't mentioned, and again, this is something that's already come up. But I just this is to me the most appealing thing is just that it's so meritocratic. Um, there's so much that you can't control. Um, in terms of like climbing the rating ladder in the chess world, maybe not necessarily getting invitations. Uh, you hear a lot of um, strong grandmasters who are not at the peak uh, say that the the very top echelon is air quotes like protected because they often don't play against um, the the sort of more 
um, average to above average grandmasters. But in this case, um, if you perform, you get to go to the candidates. Um, I mean, it's it's it creates an amazing opportunity for these players to change their lives. Um, I mean, the the obviously 110,000 first place, that's nice. But to propel yourself into the candidates and put yourself in a position to do that sort of serious prep. And then obviously, if you can, you know, from there qualify for the world championship, it's uh, it's, of course, a long shot. But I mean, this is, you know, if you're a competitive athlete or whatever, however you want to designate chess i mean that's this is why you train yeah yeah i totally agree i mean the the players know exactly what they have to do and and also like even just winning kind of one match at a time the money for this is very decent so you know there's a lot of kind of professionals that maybe uh don't make an absolute ton of money from chess like for this kind of tournament they they know that if they win two games you know they're going to get a very decent payday um and that money increases with each two games that or two game match that they manage to get through. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this year's prizes are if you're eliminated in the first round. So I don't know if I would just, I think the money should be better. Now, obviously that's easy to say, like sitting in my basement in New Jersey, like, you know, mm-hmm. but just, just, I wish the players would more comfortably cover their costs because, mm-hmm. um, if you're eliminated in the first round, you get $3,000. If you're eliminated in the second round, you get 6,000. Third round, 10,000. Fourth round, 16,000. Fifth round, 25,000. Sixth round, 35,000. Fourth place, 50,000. Third place, 60,000. Runner up, 80,000. Winner, 110,000. So obviously the money gets big and it makes a big difference, but um, you're probably basically, you know, you might, if you go there and you lose in the first round, you might pocket $1,000 if you're lucky. Um, But that's true. And I mean, my preference for, for FIDE events of this size, especially, you know, FIDE events that are part of the world championship cycle is that as where, as much as I know, I understand that this is super expensive. Like I know this part is not, I've got plenty to criticize FIDE for. This is not one of them, but in an ideal world, I think all the players flights and hotels would be covered. Yeah, exactly. Which, yeah, I should have mentioned that they're not, which is a key factor. Mm -hmm. And of course you don't know when to book your return flight. Um, so, you know, there there can be an additional cost in terms of uh, trying to change that. Um, but again, I don't like I I also I don't mean to criticize. I'm just saying it would be nice if there were more money. I'm not saying the organizers yeah, in this yeah, case sure. are, are not doing their jobs. And part of the reason I want to promote this tournament is because I love it and I want there to be more money in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, so I've covered my three likes. Um, is there anything else, any other likes you would highlight before we're going to take a break in a minute and then get to the dislikes? But any other likes that we didn't get to of yours? Um, yeah, to- my last one, again, was pretty simple. And it's just the sheer length of the tournament I really enjoy. Um, yeah. Because I, it, and it's one of the things that I enjoy about the World Championship matches is that they always get more and more tense towards the end. And I think, I feel like, particularly with World Championship matches, but also with the World Cup, is that you can really feel how tense the players are. You can feel yeah. the pressure on them. And you just can't replicate that without a long turn. And yeah. this is basically the longest tournament in chess. I'm pretty sure it is. Um, and it, it's obviously very tiring for the players. But yeah, from a from a spectator point of view, like I really enjoy watching someone go from you know, from two hundred players in the tournament to down to the last two players. Like Yeah. Well, I guess I mean, there's four because there's a third place match as well. Yeah. I mean, 
July 30th to August 25th. I mean, it's a part of your life for almost a month, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, so start, start, uh, start warning your significant others if you're, if you're going to be watching this, because, uh, that's, uh, that's the boat I'm in. Uh, there'll be a lot of, uh, AirPods in my ears <laughs> as I walk around the house while this tournament, um, is going on. Um, so we'll go to some dislikes or some critiques in a minute, but before we do that, Dodgy, A, we're going to take a break, but B, I'm often highlighting my favorite chessable courses. Of course, we're super grateful uh, for their sponsorship of Perpetual Chess. But you as an employee, an author, and a chess junkie, I figured, why not hit you up? What are your favorite chessable courses, Mr. Dodge? Yeah, as, as a chessable employee, I'm incredibly unbiased. Yes. The chessable courses. <laughs> but no, I guess uh, the, the one that I've enjoyed the most, and it's, yeah, again, I'm super biased because I've worked a lot on this course with... Was a Jan Gustafsson's E45 course, uh, which came out a couple of years ago now. It was based around the Marshall, and it's a full E45 repertoire for black. And yeah, I've played it myself on and off for the past few years. I really enjoyed playing it. I think the Marshall is a surprisingly intuitive opening for something that's so sharp. Like uh, I feel like even though it's very complicated, there's a lot of theory. There's the ideas make sense, and I think learning to play those types of positions where you're like a palm down but you get the compensation and with the bishop pair and you know you get a better feel for that dynamics i felt like that kind of made me into a better chess player um and my other favorite one is uh, a much smaller course and it's simon williams and um simon williams uh, harry attack course that he did with uh an international master whose name uh, that I just forgot. Richard um, Palliser, I believe. Richard Palliser, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I, I've I played the Harry Attack uh, since that course came out. And basically, if you're a D4 player and you want something against the Grunfeld and the King's Indian, so you can you know have the same opening against both of them, it saves you a lot of work. <laughs> um, it's a so I know it involves course. H4. What move is White going H4? In the Harry attack? So it's d4, knight f6, c4, and then after g6, then we play h4. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah. So yeah. it works against the King's Indian and the Grunfeld, and it's only like 100 variations, which is pretty small for a course. But yeah, I always struggled against the King's Indian. Um, and I've, like, I went through this course, and there's a ton of like attacking ideas. There's different setups that, that Simon goes through. And yeah, it was. I'm not. I I have scored pretty highly with it. I'm not saying that I've like refuted the King's Indian or anything. Um, but I enjoy these positions much more than uh, the kind of old mainline King's Indians, where often it's Black who gets to attack, and White's the one that's on the defensive. So yeah, those are probably my two favorite chessboard courses. Excellent. So yeah, we will link to those. And yeah, shout out to uh, to Simon and Jan Gustafsson of our rival podcast. Obviously, Jan, of course, renowned theoretician. So uh, no surprise. And I know that like uh, my friend Greg Shahadi is a big fan of his course. And uh, so uh, on that note, we're going to go to a break. And when we come back, we will get into our dislikes. We'll be right back. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? 
purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. And we are back. For dislikes, or I guess you could just call them critiques, uh, what I wanted to mention is something that already came up as we were discussing the prizes. Um, It's tough on the players, and this is something, obviously, I've interviewed many competitors in the World Cup over the years. Um, I've worked uh, as a student of Grandmaster Axel Bachman, who I'm excited is playing this year because he's been uh, semi-retired, but he's told me also, like, you know, he enjoys the prestige, but it's 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 a grind for the players to get there. I mean, it's it's a mixed bag as opposed to when you're a fan. It's almost an, an unmitigated good. And there was a very funny story that Grandmaster Robert Hungoski told. He did a lecture for Patreon subscribers of Perpetual Chess. He was also on the podcast in episode 149. And in that interview, he talked about how he considers himself sort of, you know, um, I hope Robert doesn't mind my saying this, but like an average Grandmaster, you know, um, but still ambitious. He still dreams of um, playing in these top events. And as a result, as Robert talked about, he picks his events based on trying to get into prestigious tournaments. So for example, he plays in the US Open to try to qualify for the US championships. He lives in Argentina, even though He's American, so he's playing the like interzonal events to try to get in the World Cup. And he did play in the World Cup in 2021. Um, unfortunately, he didn't make it this year, but he told a funny story. So the stage for this is this is the first round after he's made the tournament. He's excited. He's playing Grandmaster Velimir Ivich, who, spoiler alert, wins the match. He actually went on to make a deep run in 2021. But so in the second game of their match, they'd drawn the first one. It's a very long game. It's imbalanced, and then he's got a rook and a bishop against a queen, but uh, Robert does, but it's probably a draw with best play. And then, um, unfortunately, things unraveled quickly. Around move 51 of a long game, Robert blundered, and then the game was basically over in 10 minutes. So suddenly he's adjusting from thinking the game, the match is probably going to go to tie breaks, and you never know what's going to happen through the course of the match, to blundering and losing. And we'll pick it up from there. And I will play this clip that uh, was definitely one of the stories I've enjoyed more. Okay, here's the clip. Worst part of it was, you know, you, you signed the score sheet and you're you're taking it all in, right? You're absorbing the blow. And this this like Russian tournament director, he's just like uh, walks up to you and he's saying, uh, Okay, you get eliminated. You go now. You know, like he, he basically ripped my ID like out of my neck, stamped like this red sticker on it, like for losers. And he's like, "When are you leaving? When is your flight? Can we take you to the airport?" I'm like, "Can you give me a god <laughs> to like process this?" And they're like escorting me out, like you know. Um, so that that was. That was pretty intense. And I like forgot all my stuff at the board, like my my pen, my score sheet, like my water bottle. They're just like, just get him out of here. 
and uh, and that's like that's it like that's the experience is over there's no like gift shop i wanted to buy like souvenirs or you know uh i felt like somebody would interview me they're like just just get out of here that's brutal loser <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah i just can't wait to get get back and play another one yeah um, of course <laughs> yeah i mean it was so memorable now actually it's the it's the greatest tournament i ever played because when you're there you feel like you're in the big leagues you know it's like yeah. um somebody that just got you know hired to play for like the red Sox, and you know you're, you're in the pitch and you're like whoa you know all the lights and everything you see the stage and you've got you know magnus playing there there's a clock sort of ticking down till the round time and all around you is just like the best players in the world you know so it's a really amazing experience Okay, so you may detect that even my criticism is kind of veiled praise because Robert does go on to talk about the sort of singular experience that it is. But I did think that that clip sort of highlights um, how quickly things can turn. And all of a sudden you're thinking about changing your flight when minutes before you were calculating or maybe even, you know, planning the next round. Um, but hey, us fans don't have to worry about that. Yeah, there's definitely that's the harshness of sports, I guess, that, you know, you don't know what's going to happen, and yeah, with these knockouts, you you might just find yourself on the next flight home, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, that's yeah, it's a double edged sword, definitely. But yeah, I don't. Um, it's, so uh, it, it's harsh. Yeah, it's a, it's a cruel <laughs> world. So, any other any dislikes you would highlight, Mister Dodgy, or criti- criticisms? Okay, so my first criticism is it's quite controversial because I've talked about. I've talked to some quite strong players about this and they don't agree with me. Um, but I think it has too many candidate spots available. Mm-hmm. And I think it maybe has three candidate spots too many. Wow, you um, should. You think it should have none? Yeah, not because I don't think it deserves any candidate spots, just because I think it's such a good event that it should be able to stand on its own. And I think to a certain extent, uh, making it a qualifier event for something else does actually devalue it. Interesting. Um, and I didn't, I actually never liked, I, I could definitely see the case for one candidate spot because it's, you know, the winner gets a bonus, that's fine. You know, you still got to win the tournament, so it doesn't change it. I never actually liked when there was two candidate spots because that was the goal of a lot of the players. Right. So they get to the that's final, they've got their candidate spots. Okay, job's done. Like, yeah. We've we've got this final that okay, there's some cash, but you know, we've got the main thing. Um and pers- and when you look at the history of the World Cup where it actually came from, is the World Cup was originally planned to be the World Championship. This mm-hmm. was Kursan's idea to replace the classical world championship with this big knockout. And, you know, it never really got any success. Obviously people watched it, but it was never taken as seriously as the classical world championship and the people who won the big knockouts in those years were never really treated like the real world champion. You know, it was Kasparov or Kramnik were the, in most people's eyes, were the real world champions uh, during those years. But I don't see why the winner of this isn't just the knockout world champion. Like mm-hmm. we can have the classical world championship, and I'm a huge proponent of classical world championship matches. Like I think it's the best thing we have in chess like the classical world championship cycle should be protected at all costs 
it's absolutely unique to chess that we have, you know, there's a connection between Ding Loren and Botvinnik. And most sports don't actually have that direct connection of, you know, you have to beat the guy who beat the guy who beat the guy. Yeah. Like you have to just win a tournament or win something. Uh, you know, with like the football world cups and stuff like that, you know, you don't have to beat the previous winner. Like, okay, there's a longer gap. Um, but we have this unique connection in chess and we should keep that for sure. But there's the world championship, classical world championship is every two years. And I think we should have a knockout world championship in the other year. And this should just be the knockout world champion. Cause I think it's that big an event. And I think it could be promoted like that. And I do, I think it, to an extent, it gets devalued by making it a qualifier. Wow. that That's a hot take for sure. And I, I have to say, I don't entirely disagree. I had this in my notes as well. Um, I, I just have very mixed feelings because I, I do like the idea, as I mentioned earlier, that um, an, a lesser known or up and coming or um, or older player can break through and um, and potentially earn a ticket where they might not be able to in, you know, not everyone's getting to the Sinkfield Cup or the U.S. Championship or some of the other qualifiers. So I do like that aspect. But I certainly get where you're coming from because it's entertaining on its own. Um, and the other the other thing, and uh, this is something that I think uh, Maxime Le- Bashir Lagrav has highlighted, you're using a very mixed format to qualify for something that's a classical turn, you know, that's a classical match. So it's not the most natural fit. Um, but on the other hand, and and what you, the point you raise about them once their ticket is punched, maybe their incentives um, are not quite as heightened as they they would have been. That's a that's a good point that that I also hadn't hadn't thought of. But I, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> it's um, yeah, I mean, I go back. I, and I, forth. Like I said, I've talked to some of the top players, and they're like, "No, we want our candidates, boss." Yeah, um, but but I, I I just feel like it's such it's such a difficult event to win as well. Like. I I would question why the winner of this can't say that there's some kind of world champion, whereas the winner of the World Rapid and Blitz can't. Like this is harder to win the World Rapid and Blitz. Like, yeah. It's less of a lottery, it's very, you know, straightforward. And yeah, it's it's longer as well. You know, you've got to play well for a whole month here. So it's an incredible achievement to win this tournament. And I think that you should just be the knockout world champion. Like People can we can have a knockout world champion and a match world champion. I don't really have a problem with that. Yeah, yeah. I, again, I'm torn. I would like. I mean, the Grand Swiss is definitely a good start because what I like is, and it shouldn't be all the candidate spots. We don't want the candidates to be like you know the 90 through 100th best players in the world featured in the candidates. But I do like the idea of someone being able to sort of you know, come through the back door into the candidates and have a chance to change their life. So that that is why I go back and forth. But it's certainly a valid point. And I would be following, as you allude to, like, uh, I'm here for this tournament either way. And if they did it every year, uh, logistically, again, since there's a month, like you're asking a lot of the players like uh, to do that for potentially a month out of every year. But oh, yeah, a- for sure. This this can't happen every year. Like yeah. we, we should have this in this year and then we should have a world championship match next year. And we should just ultimate. Okay. Yeah. Um, I can't argue too much with that. Um, but I but I I would miss it. Um but I do feel like we haven't we haven't hit on the right candidates qualification overall. And I think what you say is um um definitely highlights that point. Um so the only other dislike I had, um it's it's in Baku this year. Um it's often in like Sochi or, you know, um 
a list of places that are not super easy to get to in the world. I'm, again, really excited that the candidates, for example, is in Toronto next year. I don't want to be like a biased North American, but Baku in particular, I will spoil that next week's guest is Levon Aronian. He mentioned he doesn't feel comfortable playing in Baku, so that's why he's missing from this field. Um, So, uh, just slightly more information about the organization. Again, I had some trouble finding out the commentators. I still couldn't even find out the round times, um, despite like a decent amount of, I mean, and we're 10 days out, so it's not like it's starting tomorrow, but still like I should be able to find out the round times. So slightly more transparency and maybe I, w- I would love for it to be in a um, major destination, whether it be in Asia, Europe, North America, wherever. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm optimistic about chess long term. I, I think we could be headed in that direction. But um, that was my only other mild critique. OK, I've got I've got another spicy one. All right, let's hear it. OK, so. <laughs> and I, I'm going to say this, I genuinely don't have a single player in mind when I say this. So I really don't. I'm not attacking anyone. You know, people have qualified to get their spots. I think there's too many low rated players. OK. That's and, yeah, and I understand that you know I'm being rude to people who this is an opportunity of a lifetime, and but I I don't mean it against them. But what I mean is there's several twenty seven hundred plus players who didn't get it, and when this is like a candidates qualification tournament, I think it's very strange that someone like Harry Krishna, for example, right, uh, didn't automatically get a spot. Whereas, you know, there are some players who are below 2,400. Um, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't have any lower rated players. I understand that we should have qualification, like qualification systems for these things are much more democratic. But I would prefer if there was, you know, at least everyone over 2,700 would get to play. Because that's only 40 spots out of 206 players. Um, I, my preference would be to make it a bit lower, maybe say 2,675 or something like that. Um, but I do find it a little bit silly that, you know, we're missing out on some very strong players. And also, I, I had kind of forgot that Aronian isn't really able to play. Yeah. Um, which is unfortunate. I guess you you probably can't pick the tournament destination based on, like, one player, um, which is unfortunate. Uh, but, yeah, that's, that was my only other dislike, I guess. Yeah, and to be clear on Aronian, it's because he's Armenian, and of course there's long-time conflict between Armenia and Azerbaijan, so he has said he doesn't feel safe traveling uh, to Baku, and he even offered online to play it uh, hybrid, to play it remotely with a proctor, but uh, no luck there. But but overall, Dodgy, I actually... I. I hadn't thought of it, but I wholeheartedly agree with your your point. As much as I love this format... Um, I don't think 206 players are strictly necessary. And your point, um, especially as long as there are candidate slots available, then yeah, players like Hare Krishna uh, should be in there. I know that you're no Hans Neiman fan, but uh, and his rating is no, no. Cool. Actually, Hans is one of the other players that um, I noticed didn't qualify. And yeah, like to me, that's just absurd. Like, yeah, he's uh, <laughs> obviously he's a controversial figure in the chess world, but he's also a 2700ish teenager. Yeah, and like it to me, that makes no sense that he's just not an automatic invite. Like, and because I was looking at the, uh, some of the, because basically all of the top juniors are playing, right? Um, except for Ali Reza and Hans, and yeah. to me that's just absurd. Like, dude, Hans should one hundred percent just be an automatic invite. 
Yeah. Plus, then we have the subplot of we see where Magnus is in the bracket, see where Hans is in the bracket, <laughs> count down until they potentially get paired against each other, get the popcorn yeah. out, but, wait to see what happens. It, it is a good example of someone who is, you know, because of the controversy, Hans doesn't really get the invites at the moment uh, to kind of other tournaments at the yeah. level. So I think it is important that, like, for FIDE events where it shouldn't, because it, I guess the problem with the chess world is that a lot of events are basically private owned, you know. And I'm not saying that none of, and none of these guys do a bad job, but, you know, Singfield Cup, Norwich Chess, why can't say? Like, it's basically under Mr. Dodge Invitational. Um, but it's basically just, you know, one guy decides if we get to play or not. And at least the FIDE event should be open to everyone. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I'm not sure which tournament he's missed out on that he didn't qualify somehow, but it, it just seems like an automatic thing that someone that is, you know, whatever, the fifth strongest teenager in the world or whatever he is, uh, should just be in on the list. Like. Yeah, well said. And I know there were a couple wild cards and they gave those to Spidler and Ivanchuk. I mean, it's I certainly can't argue with those two choices, but yeah, I mean, there's always going to be people on the outside uh, looking in and and he does make tournaments more entertaining for better or for worse. Um, all right, any other dislikes or do we have it covered? Yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, my only other small thing is that because the cost of a because it is a knockout and the cost of a mistake is so high, that sometimes the individual games can be a little bit on the dry side. Yeah, especially uh, the pe- classical. Yeah, yeah, people can be a little bit too cagey. Um, that kind of goes away usually once you get to the rapids. Like at some point, you got to take a risk, and people realize that. Um, but yeah, sometimes you know you do get punished pretty harshly if you blunder a piece or something especially if you lose a game with the white pieces you got to come back with black is super difficult um but that's yeah. just you know the nature of the game is there's, there's no way to solve that problem yeah all right well we've already highlighted some of them but we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to highlight a few more players that we are excited to see in action so we will be right back and we are back and I had a hard time with this one, Dodgy, because when I start making a list of players I'm excited to see. It's like a third of the field. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did manage to highlight a few people. I'm sure uh, some of them, some of the people you highlighted will have affiliations with uh, my rival podcast. But uh, is there anyone in particular you would like to highlight that you're excited to see? Um, well, I'm always excited to see Magnus play. And I think seeing Magnus in these big knockouts is always good fun. Um, but that's, you know, maybe the most obvious answer. Um I'll go for another controversial one. And uh, <laughs> I'm actually excited to see the Russian players in general um, because I feel like we've just not seen a lot of the Russians recently, you know, for obvious reasons. Right. <laughs> um, but we haven't seen a lot of Dubov, a lot of Grischuk, a lot of Yesipenko. Um And, you know, I don't think that's through their own fault. So it's, I think it's nice to see them playing in, you know, a big tournament again. Um, and as we mentioned, Swidler and Ivanchuk, uh, is veterans tend to do well in these these formats. I'm not really sure why. I think it's just experience does play a big part, uh, because it's such an unusual event. Uh, but in general, there's usually one or two veterans that go kind of reasonably deep. Um, and also, I think it was Peter Hein and Nielsen that brought up this point that in some sports, if you win one of these big events, then you'll be invited back, you know, every year in future. And I feel like previous winners should probably 
just get an automatic wild card. Yeah. Um, I understand that includes Karyakin. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I don't really see a problem. When you have this big field, um, whether if you're going to invite, it's a choice to invite the lower rate players or include them in the qualification, and that's that's okay. That's, if that's the way, what they want to do, that's fine. But then it's clear that Ivanchik or, or Swidler are always going to meet those rating requirements. So I think anyone who's won a World Cup should basically get an invite back, like Kamski. Yeah, the guys. Um, is is he in it? He's out. He's not in it. Is I don't he? think Kamsky's in this year. Yeah, so and, that's a that's yeah. an omission. That would be. A and he's a he's a previous winner. Like for me again, automatic invite. But. Yeah, so the previous winners since it wasn't a world championship since two thousand five are Aronian in two thousand five, Kamsky in two thousand seven, Galfan two thousand nine, Svidler two thousand eleven, Kramnik two thousand thirteen, Karyak in two thousand fifteen, Aronian two thousand seventeen, Rajabov two thousand nineteen, and Duda two thousand twenty one. Um, so yeah, I think uh, Kamsky and Karyakin are the ones missing, but I, I agree with your uh, your point. Um, I got to highlight uh, Gregory Kaidanov. I got to interview him. I, I mean, I was so excited when he qualified and I interviewed him. I actually forgot to check the date, but it was about a year and a half ago. And he mentioned he actually was just looking for an, a closed tournament with a round a day. He, I thought he had especially tried to... Um, qualify for the world cup but it was more happenstance but he of course is as we're recording this playing in the u.s senior championship and then heading straight there he will be the oldest competitor he's a legend here in the u.s uh, both as a trainer as a player uh nice guy and uh, i'm excited to see him play um he's in the same bracket as hikaru and a lot of the top players by the way get a buy so he plays another grandmaster around his level in the first round, but that's that's a tough pairing if you if you make it to face Hikaru. He's so so practical and so tough in these tournaments. Yeah, for sure. And I, yeah, I mean, it's def- definitely a good a good thing to have uh, these these older players in that have qualified. Like, uh, I mean, I didn't mean that you know they should we should t- be taking these people's spots away. I understand that they've earned it, and it's yeah, it's but it's exciting in both ways. Um, I'm obviously excited to see Laurent Fresene. Like, yeah, shout out to Laurent. Who, I believe if yeah, I believe he has to win two matches if results kind of go the right way, and then he might play Anish in the third round, which will be a very exciting match, I think. Um we'll see how that one goes. Um Yeah, and he's been, you know, beat Magnus recently. Uh he's he's um He beat he beat Magnus, he also beat Kramnik. Yeah. He's um, he's timeless, you know. <laughs> it's good to see. Good to see the. I I know as as you guys talk about on chicken. I know he's a slightly younger than Jan, and uh, as he's quick to point out, slightly younger than Jan and Peter Hein Nielsen. But nonetheless, uh, I consider him a veteran, and will definitely um be rooting for him. Um, yeah. And it's it, I enjoy the the dynamic between uh, Laurent and Peter and Jan because Laurent is incredibly optimistic about things, and. It's very funny when he's so optimistic and then it just pays off. You know? Yeah. It just works out. Yeah, of course. I'll beat Magnus. And then he beats yeah. Magnus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. I mean, as we said, it's tough to to only select certain people. I already mentioned Christopher Yu, but I, I also have a special place in my heart for Sam Shanklin. Obviously, always so revealing in his interviews. And he's kind of an example of someone that's at that sort of second tier where if he could break through and earn a candidate spot, it could, uh, you know, create um, an even higher trajectory uh, for subsequent years. So someone I always root for as well. Yeah, sure. And uh, 
I, I'm also, as usual, excited to see the kids playing. Um, yeah, Arbeck, Gukesh, Arjun, Vincent, Prague, and Nihal are like I don't think it's impossible for any of them to get a candidate spot, especially with the third one up for grabs. Like I, if one of them gets a candidate spot from this, I will not be the slightest bit surprised. Yeah, I mean, if they take all three, then maybe that's a bit of a shock. But yeah, I think one of the kids probably gets a candidate spot here. Is my guess. Yeah, that would be fun. I would like to see at least one find a way. You know, there's so many veterans I'm rooting for, but um, but but yeah, the, it would be good to see at least one of the younger generation. And of course, we already mentioned we're missing Ali Reza, but yeah, I mean. I know he has other interests, but this is a bitter pill. Uh, just as a fan, I, uh, I've mentioned before, you know, he <laughs> uh, far be it from me to judge how people decide to spend their time. You've got to do what makes you happy. But as a chess fan, I'll, I'll really miss him this tournament. Yeah, it is unfortunate that he's, he's not playing in this one. Um, yeah, he just picks his tournaments quite carefully. I think I, I think I joked that he has actually played two or two, two tournaments in a row, so we're probably not going to see him till the end of the year now. Right. Because um, he did play Norway Chess and then the Grand Chess Tour. But it, we might not actually see him until October, I guess. He's probably not going to play anything until the Grand Swiss. Um, he he just... Uh, yeah, I, I don't know what the, the strategy is because I think it's different from what we've seen uh from most kind of top players over the last 15 20 years whereas like when they they get to the age of 18 19 they're basically playing constantly like they it is the, the kind of time where you can improve a lot but i guess if you you make the case that you can improve a lot from playing at that age you could probably improve a lot from studying and from my understanding is that he's still working very hard on chess okay um so i don't know if this is just his his own strategy that you know i like i don't think he's locking himself in a basement and studying opening theory for four months at a time but if you tell me he's done it for two months out of that four months i wouldn't be surprised like i think he's still working really hard on chess yeah it might have even been on the chicken chess club pod but i heard someone somewhere saying like you know reports of of his disinterest are greatly exaggerated so but yeah that- I, I think he's still very invested in chess um i it, it's just a different a different strategy i don't think we've seen this before it'll be i think where it'll get interesting is when one of the other teenagers catches him yeah and we kind of have to remember how much stronger Ali Reza has been than anyone else because they're still not close. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, yeah. So, spo- yeah. Spoiler alert in the interview with Levan, which I'm, I'm releasing this current one first because, uh, because the world cup starts. Uh, so I need to release this one before it starts. But Levan said, when I asked Levan, which, which young player he thought had the best chance of winning the world championship, he just said, he said, what well, you just said, he said it would be a disservice to, it would be like uh, disrespectful of Ali Reza to not put him above everyone else. Um, yeah, I mean, he's so far above that. Yeah. Often nowadays, we don't really include him as one of the teenagers. Like, he's just one of the best players in the world. Uh, yeah. Like, you forget that he's still on the juniors list because he's really on the the Nepo Ding Caruana list. You know, okay, they're still behind Magnus, but he's definitely in the mix. Yeah. Yeah, so we miss you, Ali Reza. <laughs> Come back soon. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I get that you're saying he has a unique strategy, but it just seems like 
of all the tournaments to skip. Like, you know, this one has, there are eight candidate spots. This one has three of them, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, for sure. It, it, it's unusual. And yeah, I mean, he he definitely fits in with the, the stereotypical profile of someone you would expect to win this. Yeah. Match. I mean, I I can skip ahead with the maybe with the questions that you'd already asked, but you asked for some picks to win. Yeah, yeah, that's what and that's next. Ali Razor would definitely be one of my names if he's not playing. Um, but instead, yeah. I I picked Nodderbeck. Well, my my picks were Magnus, Nodderbeck, and Hikaru. Um, yeah, it's hard to argue with those. Honestly, I put it in the outline to make picks, but I find. <laughs> I do find it pretty silly. I have no idea who's going to win. But I do think just because of the possibility, the added possibility that Magnus can, like, create, you know, Twitter drama and arguments about, like, the the candidate cycle by advancing to the top three, I think that basically guarantees he'll come in the top three. Plus, he's pretty good at chess. But mm-hmm. so Magnus will find his way in. And, yeah, Hikaru just seems to be in in such good form and so practical at this stage that, that it's... uh it's tough to bet against him as well. So, I mean, if you punch those two and then I guess, and Abdu Satarov, I know someone like Agard has tons of respect, especially for sort of the practical elements um, of his game. But I guess if I were going to look for someone different, um, Irigacy's playing, right? Yep. <laughs> yeah, then I'd go with Irigacy, but... Um, yeah, I mean, Irigacy or Gokesh, for sure, seem pretty close. I, I feel like Nodebeck just... Um, takes these things incredibly seriously. I'm sure the others do as well, but he just he just exudes this kind of aura of seriousness. Um like he's just absolutely kind of laser focused on becoming the best in the world. Um I, I'm realizing now that I picked Magnus and Hikaru, two guys who have never won a World Cup. So That's true. These guys have no experience in this. Why am I picking them as the favorites? <laughs> yeah. It's, they've never done it before. And they are it's on different interesting. sides. It shows you how tough this event is, though. Because I don't think Asakari played all of the World Cups. I think maybe this is one of the things he skips sometimes. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I, I would have to fact check that, but I think you're right. And one other thing I want to highlight about Magnus is he could potentially play Keimer in the round of 32, um, which that's one young player who could certainly make a run, and that would be obviously super entertaining uh, if they end up tangling fairly early um so yeah that's a i mean for the open section that's those are the major points i think obviously talking about it gets me excited any final points before we uh discuss the women's tournament which i'm also excited for um no i think we've kind of covered covered everything i'm just i'm looking forward to it starting um i'm hoping there'll be I like when with these big events when there's kind of multiple commentary teams to jump between uh, because there's so many different games. So I'm I'm curious to see who Fide will have as the yeah. commentary team. I my guess is, and I'm just kind of I have no idea, but maybe we will see Vichy as a commentator because he's not playing and he's been doing a lot of Fide events. Um, so that would be nice. But yeah, yeah we'll, that would we'll be wait great. and see. I have no idea if that's actually gonna. happen. I've just completely made this up, but you know I mean, he's been it, doing a lot of FIDE events, so maybe we see Rishi as well. But yeah, I hadn't thought of that, but I mean it, it makes as much sense as anything. Yeah, and it, it is nice to have different teams. I know some people. I, I really I like all the Chess.com commentators that that are selected. Um, but I know that Chess Twenty Four, you know, for a while was doing like sort of an advanced team and like mm-hmm. a more beginning oriented team, and um, 
you know, to the extent that budgets can support that sort of thing, I'm obviously the more the better, especially an event like this yeah. with so much chess to cover. That's, that's my ideal format for uh, these big events is to have two different teams. Yeah. Regardless of like who puts them together, I think it's it's always nice to just have two teams so you can hop between the different games and try and see a lot of the chess. But yeah, it's yeah. going to be tons of chess. Should be a good month. Yeah. So the women's tournament, Ho Yi Fan, she's been playing a bit more chess lately, but unfortunately, uh, she is not playing. Ju Wenjun is signed up for now. I guess no one would be shocked. I think especially if she wins, um, the again, you guys will, will already know, but um, if she's won the world championship, I personally wouldn't be surprised if she doesn't play. Um, uh, Alina Kostelinskaya is not playing, which is a bit surprising. Um, but most of the top 20 women in the world are are playing. I'm excited to see the Muzichuk sisters back in action. Yeah, it's uh, again, it's very similar to the men's event and that more or less everyone will play. Um, there's, there's always a couple of people skip it, but um, yeah, the, it's exciting enough. It's a good enough. It's, prize money is good. So yeah, there's usually very... Very few people will skip an event like this. Yeah. And in the women's field, 103 players, so half the size of the men's field. Top three spots qualify for the women's candidates, so similarly high stakes. Um, so a, a lot of what we said overall applies to the women's uh, just as much, and I'll be watching just as closely. But are there, so are there any other players you're particularly excited to see? Um, Yeah, there's a few. Uh, the first thing I was going to say about the women's event is... um. I'm not I understand that for logistical reasons this is why it has to be at the same time. But I'm never a huge I like I I, I do like women's events and women's events should one hundred percent exist for the foreseeable future. Um but eventually I would like to see them disappear in a perfect world so that we would have just open events because you know women can compete against men. Yeah. Um and so what, one of the things I am not super keen on is having men's and women's events run at the same time, which because it means the women the women can't play in the open World Cup. Right. And my preference would be that, you know, a few of the women would choose to play in the men's open or the you know, the open world cups are. Um but they can't really do that because financially it's just a terrible decision. You know, they're likely to win more money in the other tournament. Um, so my preference would be to have these two events, you know, there should still be two events for now. Um, but I would prefer to have them separate so that the women could play in the open as well. Uh, yeah, but, uh, it's yeah, a good I point. Mean, I... I understand it's, it adds a lot of cost, so it's not, it's not a simple thing, but yeah, it's unfortunate. Cause I mean, in the past we have seen women playing in the, the open section. I mean, Gurishkina is quite, uh, quite often plays, in open events she played in the I mean she actually chose the men's the open Russian super final over the, the women's one when she she could have played in the women's one um, so yeah there's definitely a few and it, like in terms of like you know for the younger players in terms of improvement it is good to play against stronger players yeah um, so yeah but I'm looking forward to quite a lot of players because there's you know most of them are playing I kind of avoided uh, most of the grandmasters on my list because you know we know, yeah, we know them all. You know, it's good to see Ju and Jun playing in this yeah. thing, especially if she she keeps her title. But either way, you know, she's more or less the world champion. She still is at the moment, and she signed up for this one. Um, 
But the the Polish player Olivia Kielbasa, uh, who had like a phenomenal result in the Olympiads, when, right? Yeah, when I was in Chennai. Um, I'm hoping she has a very good tournament again because she was just racking up points. Um, and the I don't know if it's the most obvious one or not, but Aline Roberts. Oh yeah, she's on um, my list. Yeah. I don't, I, th- I mean I don't I don't I'm never really sure how closely other people follow this stuff, but uh Lena Roberts is one of those players that like if you enjoy attacking chess, she should just be on your list of you know you follow every game because she plays King's Gambits and stuff like this and and wild stuff. So um she's one of these players that you should just, you know she should be on your list of games that you just check every day and say, okay, she's played something insane. Um so I'm hoping that she has a good tournament and she's getting higher rated all the time. I think she might be 2,400 now or around about there. Yeah, rise, rising quickly. She was on my list. I'm excited to to see her as well. And to your point, yeah, Ju Wenjun was also qualified for the Open, but as you said, due to most likely financial considerations, uh, decided to play in the women's. Uh, and the aforementioned uh, Kashlinskaya, she's married to Vojasek. So I don't know this for a fact, but it could be some sort of like family reason that they both can't play at the same time. But um, but if they're, at, you know, if they're staggered, maybe they both could play. Um, so uh, I, I support everything uh, that you said. Uh, other players, it's weird. Um, Dodgy, I don't consider myself... Uh, I try not to be provincial here on the podcast, try to feature guests from all over the world. Um, you know, I've traveled a but fair But you're going to mention Carissa yet. Yep, but I'm going to mention, and Jennifer you. <laughs> I'm a to- total homer with the, uh, the United States women players. I'm excited to see them in action, especially because they're both at moments in their life, like they're going to university. It's not clear, you know, uh, how to what extent chess will be a priority. So while they're young and can make some noise and maybe, uh, you know, push them in the direction of uh, continuing to to uh, pursue chess professionally, um, I'm rooting for them. Also got to give a shout out to Irina Bomaga, who's been on the pod and uh, um, very nice woman and always working hard on her game. She's trying to, to um, take her game to another level. And again, the Muzichooks have been sitting out a lot of events because of... Um, Russian players being involved. Um, so it's nice to see them finally get to compete again. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I mean, this this American, this American generation of American girls has been super strong. It's, I, don't, I don't know if there's really been a generation that's this strong that's producing kind of consistently 23, 24, 100, and definitely players that seem very capable of getting the Grandmaster title. Um, no, the the current generation of American girls has been very impressive. Yeah. Um, the the last one I had on my list, which I was reminded by my friend Amelia, the only chess historian, uh, is Theodora Injek. Um, she, <laughs> we, we were watching her play in seat chess and she kept having really exciting games against Grandmasters every day. Uh, she's right about, I guess, 2350-ish, somewhere like that. But she... Yeah, while I was in CJ, she kept having these really fun games to follow. So she's definitely one to watch out for. Okay, yeah, from Serbia. And it looks like she is in Kostinuk's bracket. So if she makes some noise, um, she would run into her eventually. Which brings us to, I think, our final conversation point. We also should reveal the winners of the women's uh, the women's tournament. So who, do, who you got, Daji? And Mr. Dodgy will reveal the winners right after this break.
And we are back. Um, I'm gonna root for Kostanyuk. Yeah, I I just I just really enjoy Kostanyuk um, as a player and as a person. I think she's a brilliant ambassador for chess. Um, and I really enjoyed her. Was it the rapid? Or, I don't remember if it was the rapid or the blitz. I always get them mixed up in my head that she won kind of last year. Um, but yeah, she's 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 a great commentator as well. I've enjoyed her commentating on the women's world championship. Um, so yeah, I'm rooting for Kostanyuk. Yeah, class act, and and she's also tough to pick against. I mean, she's she's another one. She's got so much experience. She's so practical. Um, she's mm-hmm. uh, ageless, and I am uh, rooting for her as well. I don't know, despite the young talents that that you highlighted and that I've thought of in the women's event, I actually, as I look at the field, I find it harder to envision one of someone like under 20 breaking through to the, the final four than I do all the phenoms that we mentioned uh, in the open section. Uh, to me, mm-hmm. someone like Kostin Yook, uh, Ju Wenjun might have to deal with fatigue, but she's obviously dangerous. Uh, the Muzitrik sisters, I mean, I feel like they're still... Um, there. Yeah, I mean, I guess if if I was going to pick one of the youngsters, it would probably be Vaishali. Yeah, that's she, yeah. She seems like a decent pick for kind of the next generation to start breaking through. Yeah. Um, but I I think this generation, like the the girls, the women have already mentioned, like Elena Roberts and Kilbasa, they're super strong. Like I, <laughs> I did see uh, a thing a few weeks, a couple weeks ago, about someone saying that you know there's no uh top female stars coming through and i just thought well i think these people are not really following chess because there's a bunch of these girls that are incredibly strong yeah. and also play like really exciting chess as well like um me, me personally i don't because i'm not you know anywhere near a grandmaster level it's, if it's a 24 2500 player or a 26 2700 player it makes a very little difference to me as a fan um and they they're playing like fantastic chess and very entertaining. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to the women's event as well. I mean, I, I, the other side, I guess, of them having at the same time is the women's event does get less attention than the open. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, because I feel I do feel strongly that the knockout system is very entertaining. It should be a big event. Like, I feel like the women's event would get a lot of attention if it was on its own. Um, because we, you know, a lot of people are following the women's world championship match just now. But that is only, even though like the matches are super tense and they're good, it's just one game at a time. Like it's not as a spectacle, it's not always that exciting as you know a knockout where there's a bunch of stuff happening. There's rapid and blitz tie breaks every three days, and you know it's very entertaining. So like I feel like if there's a lot of people watching the women's world championship match when it's on its own, because I think it wouldn't get as the same viewership if it was at the same time as the men the open. Right. I keep saying men, but yeah, but. You know, <laughs> right? Um, but if the women's match was at the same time as Ding against Nepal, then it probably would get less viewership, realistically. Um, so yeah, it would be it would be nice to see the women's event kind of held separately. But I understand there are logistical problems about you know paying for venues and getting everybody there at the same time. Does the costs do add up? Uh, yeah, but I think in general, that's like chess has to make these events sustainable as well. That's one of the things that has led to the kind of issues that maybe Fide has with attracting sponsors is that you know these events, 
these events can be very marketable and watchable and you know you can attract sponsors to them um but they you have to do it kind of properly and you have to let these things stand on their own and i feel like the women's world cup as a standalone event should be very sustainable yeah um because you've basically got like uh, like the like Norway Chess have announced this women's super tournament, mm-hmm. and obviously they they're quite ambitious, uh, but they obviously have a, an idea in mind that this is you know there's a good re- this is financially viable way to do this, and if they think that with uh, a relatively small tournament with you know ten players, you should be able to get enough viewership with 103 players, you know because. Anyone who follows women's chess, basically, you're more or less your favorite woman is going to be playing in this tournament. Like, yeah, unless you're a Kalashinskaya fan or Hoi fan. Yeah, it would be nice if Hoi fan played more as well. Yeah, it would. Um, yeah, and I and first of all, I, I agree with everything you said. Um, yeah, and it's extremely compelling tournament. Um, I forgot to mention Goryachkina, who probably, if there were a betting market, I think would be the favorite. So, um, should... yeah, yeah, Goryachkina is like when she's playing well, she just seems like unplayable. Yeah. Um, so if I were to pick three, just to not hedge completely, um, Goryachkina, Kostyanyuk, and Anna Muzichuk. Those are those are my top three. Um, and uh, Goryach, actually, I haven't looked at the bracket, so I want <laughs> to, to see who exactly would be in the final. But you guys get the idea. Um, so and got to give a shout out to Sarah Kadam in closing as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Iranian French rising star. I'll be watching and rooting for her um, in Spanish. Sorry. Yeah. Iranian Spanish. Thank you. Um, so I think that's about it. Um, but yeah, super excited. Uh, any final thoughts, Mr. Dodgy? Um, no, I'm just really looking forward to the best month of chess usually this is yeah this is for me the event of the year i mean i i think the world championship was very exciting and it's good fun but yeah for me this is the biggest event of the year um, yeah and i hope as many people as possible watch it i think chess.com will put together a pretty pretty good team with you know some of the best commentators in the world that are going to be working for basically seven hours a day for an entire month um, so yeah, it's going to be a big event. I maybe we'll just see who wins. It should be good fun. Yep. Yeah. And I didn't find the exact times, but usually the games are in the morning in the US and the afternoon in Europe, as with a lot of these tournaments. So uh, general framework. So July 30th, check chess.com. I'll link to uh, any links, uh, any more information that I find uh, that we're recording a week, about 10 days before the tournament starts. So even by the time this comes out, you know, four days before the tournament starts, uh, might might have tied up a few loose ends in terms of uh, what to look forward to. But yeah, vastly entertaining. And the last thing I wanted to add is obviously for like, there's just a, the sheer volume of games is exciting. So if you're a fan of a particular opening, you know, it might not get covered um, necessarily during the broadcast. But if you're like downloading the games and going through them and all these people trying to make a mark, trying to break through uh, to the candidate cycle, like any any opening ideas that they have, obviously this is the time to play them. So um, it's uh, exciting in that regard as well for the uh, opening junkies. Um, yeah, for sure. And you'll definitely see a lot, a wide variety of openings, especially because we get so many rapid tiebreak games. So um, I think you, you'll probably see more must-win games than you see in other tournaments. Um, because as soon as someone loses a game, the next one's a must-win game. Yep. So you'll see a lot of people playing like 
things with black in particular that they would never usually play because they don't have a choice. Um, so yeah, you should definitely see a wide variety of stuff. Yep, good stuff. All right, well, Michael, insightful as expected. Um, and yeah, really excited for the tournament. I'm sure you guys will be covering it on the Chicken Chess Club. Um, yeah, because uh, well, Laurent probably won't be covering it until after round one. Yeah, you can't even. Maybe, maybe he'll go deeper than that. Likely uh, can't even line up Svidler. <laughs> as a, yeah, as a I, I, I suspect Svidler will probably do well. And also, Peter Heine is uh, usually. He might have some work to do as a as a second for his uh, his boss, but we'll we'll see. We'll definitely try and cover as much as we can. I don't think we'll be doing daily recaps this time because right. everyone's <laughs> kind of busy with it. But yeah, we'll we'll definitely be hopefully covering some of the action. Yeah, and here on Perpetual Chess, I actually, I don't know how much I'll be covering it. I usually record my Tuesday long-form interviews weeks in advance, um, and this, it, it unfolds so quickly. You can barely pause for breath. So certainly if if Chicken Chess Club and C-Squared are, are on top of it, I might step aside till it's over. But if uh, if no one else is keeping people up to date via audio, then uh, maybe we'll drop a bonus pot or two. But one thing uh, for sure is I'll be watching. So um, super excited. And thanks again, Michael. Yes, thanks for having me. Podcast Network.